You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Talking Chop Podcast. This is episode nine. I am Carlos Colazzo, and I'm finally coming at you guys. During the regular season, we've had baseball games, and Brad Rowland, as always, is along for the ride tonight. Brad, how's it going, my man? I'm good, man. Uh, are you sure you don't want to talk about the Masters instead? I don't know. Turns it, into a Masters pod. It, it might be better if we did talk about the Masters, considering that the Braves actually haven't started playing this season yet. Oh, um, I see what you did there. Yeah, you like that? Well done. Uh, yeah, the Braves are currently one of two winless teams. They are 0-5. Uh, as of today, which is Sunday night, a little later than we normally record, um, but we're still getting it done. As of today, the Twins are the only other team with no win. Uh, they are 0-6 at this point. So right now, Shout out to the Twins. Yeah, right now Shout it's a battle between the- Atlanta and Minnesota for the first pick of the, the next draft. Is that the case? Yeah, God bless the Twins, man. <laughs> uh, keep, keep a little bit of the focus off what's happened uh, in Atlanta these first uh, five games, especially given the fact that all the losses came at home. That's not great either. So Yeah, I mean, for the last season in Turner Field, that's not exactly the start that you would have hoped for, but I have to say that it's it's probably right about what you'd expect considering the team that we've been throwing out, uh, that we've been talking about this offseason, the team that Freddie Gonzalez has at his disposal this year. But any quick, before we jump into some of the heavier topics, any quick... Um, I guess just reactions to what you've seen so far. I know you've been able to actually watch the team more than me so far this season, but what are your thoughts on what we've seen? Yeah, I mean, there's you could put the positive spin on it. I know it's that's not what you know my first inclination is to do, and not what really anybody's has been. Um, they've led in I think four of the five games, um, so that's good. Uh, even <laughs> late, they've they've led late. Um, so on one hand, that means that the losses were more frustrating which is not something you love but on the other hand a lot of stuff went right early in those first like seven innings of those games um but yeah overall it's been it's been pretty frustrating and it's kind of uh intrinsic uh to try to keep people on the rails a little bit like uh, reminding people that this this team was not supposed to be good Mm -hmm. um so people panicking a little more than i think is probably best um but at the same time, this early, I guess it's hard to blame people for having a little bit of an overreaction party. <laughs> a lot of the jokes about whether the Braves will ever win, that kind of stuff, um, it's kind of un- it's kind of unavoidable when you start with five straight losses. But I don't think it's been quite as bad as that number suggests. Um, it's just been really frustrating because some of the late inning performances. So I get where people are coming from with that. With that yeah, I think it's interesting because if you look back to last season. Where the Braves started five and zero, we kind of had the exact opposite vibe, where people were joking around about whether the Braves would ever would ever lose again. Um, so maybe you could say that this zero and five start 
this season means the Braves are going to finish the opposite of last season. They're going to be a 95-win team. Is that is that what we're going to expect this season, Brad? Sure, we'll go with that. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Just flip, flip this thing on its head and uh, 90 wins and playoffs and all that stuff. All you have to, all you have to do is start 0-5. Yeah. That's the key to success. I like that mentality. You get you fired up, you're mad about your first five games, and then you just turn it into another gear. Um, but no, I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think anyone thinks that's going to be the case. Um, just a quick look at the standings. I feel like we can kind of do this regularly to keep you guys up to date on where the Bravos are in the National League East. Currently, they're dead last, as you would probably expect, at 0-5. The Nationals are in first at 3-1. and you got the Mets, Phillies, and Marlins in that order to round out the division. And I actually looked at the division, and I just saw the wins and losses, and I wanted to see how the NL East stacked up with all the other divisions in baseball. And their combined win-loss record is the worst in all of Major League Baseball, and it's not even really that close. Uh, the NL East is a combined 8-16, and 16, which is good for a 333 winning percentage. Um, I believe the next worst is the AL West, who's 13-19. and 19. So the Braves are the worst team and arguably the worst division in baseball. That's, that's fun. Breaking news, the NL East is terrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's not new. Um, I did about an hour and 10-minute podcast with our, uh, our boy Zach Dillard from Fox Sports South. Uh, on the NL East before the season started, and the, the the big takeaway there was that the NL East is bad. Yeah. Uh, so even as even if the Phillies and I mean the Phillies, even if the Mets <laughs> and the Nationals are both good, um, which they, they actually both probably are, uh, it's not a surprise to me that the NL East is lagging behind even this early. So things might get ugly, and the Braves uh, probably will finish at the bottom of that. But alas, here we are. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting how. The numbers have already started to pan out. The NL Central has the best winning percentage as a whole, and I think that it's probably pretty true to their talent level uh, as well. So it's kind of interesting how how these numbers have already sort of shown what you'd expect them to show over the course of the season, at least for me. Um, also want to point out before we get too much further into this podcast, this is the first time that the Braves have started 0-5 since 1988. And in 1988, I was six years away from being born. So that's a pretty long time for me. Man, you're really young. Uh, <laughs> although I should, I should, it's not like I'm really that. I mean, yeah, I'm older were than you, you even alive at that point? I was. I was, I was uh, not even two years old, though, and didn't live in Atlanta yet. So it's not like I'm that, uh, I had that much of a uh, frame of reference on the 1988 team. But it wasn't a lot of fun from all, by all accounts. So. <laughs> Not, a, not, not, not the most uh, positive start, a bit ominous there. <laughs> well, the good news is, well, I guess not really good news, but this is really the first uh, rebuilding transition period that we've had, or at least that I've had from the, from the franchise as a whole since I've been alive. So that's probably pretty good news. Um, the bad news is that they only won one World Series, but this isn't a history podcast. We don't have to really talk about the history of the franchise. We can save that for another episode if, if we think that that's a path we want to go down. Um, but let's talk about some of the statistics we've had from this team over the first week. Small sample size alert. These statistics probably don't matter at all, but I looked at them. I was just kind of perusing fan graphs, looking at the team leaderboards, and it's actually hilarious to look at some of these numbers. Um, the hitters, Braves are dead last in hitting war, according to fan graphs, at negative 0.7, which basically means that you could have taken a uh, replacement level team of quad A minor league guys and thrown them out there and you presumably they would have done better 
this, if I'm understanding that statistic correctly, which I, I, I hope that I am at this point. I've been working with it for a few years now. Um, the only other teams with negative hitting war at this point are the Phillies, Mets, and Angels, which is hilarious that there are three NL East teams that have been that bad uh, in in the first week of baseball, I thought. Um, anything to that, Brad? Are we expecting the Braves to be the worst uh, positional war team in baseball this season? Not necessarily. I mean, I think they're going to be at near the bottom, so that's that's kind of be kind of to be expected. I don't think it's this bad. Um, it could be. I'll say that. <laughs> um, I'm not going to say that that's out of the realm of possibility. Um, but you know, it's as you mentioned, we should everything that we say about stats right now should be couched in small sample. But uh, this is not the best uh, collection of uh, position players. Um, that's just the simplest way to put it. Um, there's a there's a little bit of upside um, compared to what this looks like, but it's not supposed to be great, and it's not been great. Uh, even even as we mentioned, the Braves have had some leads. Uh, most of that's been to do some due to some uh, some quality pitching early in the game. Um, not not a ton of offensive explosion. That's kind of to be expected. Yeah, at, at this point, the Braves are dead last in weighted runs created, uh, which is a. 37 they're dead last in weighted on base average they're last in batting average and they're last in slugging which i mean i that's just not thought good. i thought that was hilarious just seeing them last in all of those categories um maybe i'm enjoying this this poor start a little too much but whatever the starters let's move on to the starters uh they're a little bit better in this in this section of the team um they have 0.1 starter wins above replacement which is 23rd not worst that's improvement um, they are 6.85 strikeout per nine mark is 25th in baseball, and they're 3.8 base on ball per nine mark is 21st. So, kind of mid to to back end of the league at this point. And I feel like like these are I like looking at these numbers, but again, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like this stuff doesn't matter at all. Um, no. but, but to finish it out real quick, the relievers, which Brad, as you mentioned, the Braves have blown a lead in the seventh inning or later in four of the first five games so far. Um, these numbers might give you a little bit more hope for, for improved uh, results in that regard. Uh, they have the 27th worst Winsboro replacement for the reliever group at this point, but the peripherals look a little bit better. At least when you look at strikeouts, they're 11.48. K per nine mark is the sixth best. But then if you look at the uh, walks per nine innings, uh, the relievers have allowed five and a half walks per nine, which is 27th in the game. And I feel like just looking at this group of pitchers coming into the season who are going to be in the bullpen, that's kind of what I expected. You have a lot of guys that have shown the the strikeout potential, but there are a lot of arms that aren't really, I mean, they can't throw strikes. And we've seen that, we saw that in the spring, and we've seen that with a lot of their track records beforehand. Um, but kind of jumping off the relievers, we had a, a scary incident today. I know, Brad, you said you were able to see this. I actually didn't see it live, but I was watching the game Daniel Winkler uh, fractured his elbow, and he's going to have an MRI tomorrow, I believe, at the earliest to see if there's any more structural damage. But this was really kind of a scary moment. He's a guy who's had Tommy John surgery before. He had that back in 2014. But Winkler really was having a really strong start to the year. 2.1 innings, four strikeouts, one walk, no runs allowed, no hits allowed. And then he just comes off the mound in a lot of pain. After throwing a wild pitch well behind the batter he was going up against at the time, but just kind of take us through what you saw, uh, Brad, and what you think this is going to be like moving forward. Obviously, hate to see that. 
Yeah, it was one of those moments where everybody in the stadium and everybody watching on TV knows there's something that's gone quite wrong. Um, it was kind of brutal to watch. Uh, well, not even kind of brutal. It was very brutal to yeah. watch. Um, and this is a guy you mentioned who's been a lot of fun early on, like kind of coming out of not nowhere, but really looking kind of electric, uh, making pitches in a way that most of these most of the staff can't. Um, at least, you know, again, it's a small sample, but Winkler was kind of a guy that the Braves uh, fans had already kind of latched on to as a guy who was, could be uh, entertaining in the late innings, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that it looked, I mean, the way that he went down uh, and where the pitch ended up, all the whole combination that you kind of laid out there, um, it was not great. And to hear, I mean, my initial reaction was he's gone, um, and he was. Um, and the, you know, as anytime you could find that out as fast as the Braves did, uh, mm-hmm. announced it, it was within, I think like an hour, uh, of the, when the pitch happened, when they were already announcing that he would, you know, he had the fractured elbow. Yep. Um, they'd not said that he's out <laughs> for the season, but you know, it's kind of my expectation. Yeah. I think um, that's mine as well. It's pretty safe. I think to assume that, and, um, that's just not great. I mean, this is, uh, a guy with some, uh, some promise. I mean, it's, it's a reliever, so it's not like, um, this is a guy with a huge pedigree. He was a Rule Five guy, um, but twenty-six year old. I mean, there's a guy. You know, Winkler could have had something uh, to add long term, and still could. I mean, I'm not saying uh, you don't rule the guy out long term, but mm-hmm. as far as this year is concerned, that was a bright spot um, potentially that is now uh, kind of uh, faded away in a hurry, given the uh, f- sort of a freak looking accident too. I mean, it's something you never want to see. Yeah, I mean, just watching the video of his post game interview when he was talking about the injury. It was really depressing just to listen to and watch because you can tell. I mean, obviously, this is a guy who's dealt with his injury issues in the past, and he feels like he can compete at this level. And based on what we saw of him before this happened today, I mean, he had he had a real case for that. And it's just sad to see a guy. I mean, this is a guy who said he heard his elbow crack when he threw the ball. And I know when he heard that, he said he knew exactly what had gone wrong. He said he knew it was the elbow. He was hoping it was just the bone, but you know, in the back of his mind, he's just thinking, man, I missed a year plus for that Tommy John surgery. I was just feeling like I was getting back into the swing of things. Now this, I mean, he's got to be pretty down at this point and we're hoping the best for him. Prayers for him. Obviously it's, it's not easy to, to come back from, from this. I would imagine hopefully there isn't any ligament damage there. Although we don't know at this point what the case is. Um, but yeah, I, I guess you just have to hope the best for him. Hope he's able to make a recovery and, and stick after this is kind of resolved, but just tough to see that so early this season, probably the biggest negative for the Braves at this point. Uh, I'll say, I'll say this, man, it, it, for those Braves, you know, sort of not longer time Braves fans, but even the last few years, mm-hmm. the Gavin Floyd injury came to mind Yeah, right away. Like, that was 2014 when Gavin Flo was kind of cooking and really had it going uh, in his first few starts with the Braves and was really kind of uh, energizing the fan base. And the same sort of thing happened with him where it was a you know, visible injury that went wrong. Um, not exactly the same circumstance, but a similar, a very similar injury. I mean, ended up, I think he ended up with a fractured bone in his elbow. Mm-hmm. Um, so same sort of thing, and uh, you, you never want to see that. So. Yeah, no. So hopefully he gets better as soon as he's able to get better. Hopefully we don't have any more bad news coming out of Winkler camp, but I think we can move on to another injury, which fortunately seems much less severe than a fractured elbow, and that is of Ender Enciarte. He was just placed on the 15-day disabled lift list Excuse me, after straining his left hamstring Friday uh, against the Cardinals. And it looks like Malik Smith will be officially called up tomorrow, Monday. 
It's Malik's time, baby. Malik's yeah. time. That's that's kind of exciting for people, but I already told Brad before we recorded this podcast that I was going to play Debbie Downer here because Malik Smith has performed about as well as he possibly can over the spring and so far in this minor league season. Uh, he has six hits in three games, including a double and a triple, as well as a stolen, stolen base so far with Gwinnett. And he flashed that power in spring training, so I feel like everyone's going to be all hyped up on Malik Smith, assuming he's this five-tool player. At least those of uh, those Braves fans who really don't follow the prospect game as well as Eric and Garrett do on our site, and I know uh, Brad and myself do. Uh, what are we expecting from Malik's Brad? I know we've talked about him a lot before the season, but we're finally going to see him probably earlier than the Braves would have liked, earlier than maybe Malik's expected to be up, unless he assumed he was going to make camp out of spring. But what are we expecting out of Malik? Should he play every day? Is he going to play every day? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of touched on the on the power being kind of a mirage. Uh, <laughs> I think that's definitely true. Um, as far as playing every day, they better play him every day. That's my opinion. Like mm-hmm. if you're gonna, if you're bringing up this guy right now, um, you had you had other options. They weren't, you know, they're not the best options. I won't pretend that they are. But if you're gonna bring up this kid now, he's got to play every day. Um, that that'd be one of uh, my factors for not bringing him up this early, mm-hmm. especially because uh, Enciarte. Uh, it's, that injury is seen as a really short-term thing. Like he might be ready when the when the fifteen days expire. Yep. Um, that would have slowed me down on bringing Malik up in the first place. Um, on the other hand, you know you normally reserve the service time issues on holding guys down for you know the uh, the uber elite prospects, and I don't think that's that applies to Malik's. Mm-hmm. So there is that argument there. <laughs> but you know, anytime you're talking about a young guy that you think is a part of your future, you want to get him as many at bats as many opportunities to play um, as possible. Um, and, you know, there was already that buzz coming around uh, on Twitter today that if Malik's perform well, the Braves should just keep him up for the, for the whole season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I disagree with that. Uh, even, even if he's great, um, you, you, you don't want to keep that guy around as your fourth outfielder. Um, no. Given the fact that they have Marquecas and Oliveira sort of penciled in, uh, not even penciled in, really penned in and left and right field right now, um, you don't want to bury a guy like Malik's on the bench. It's just not a good idea for his long-term development. He's he's better off playing every day in Gwinnett than he is getting one at bat every three days with the big league club. Uh, and we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit with that. But you know, two weeks from now, when Ender and Ciarte is back, they're going to have another decision to make, mm-hmm. and that's that's one that I would have I would have probably just avoided altogether and brought up another option. Uh, as more of a stopgap than and just kind of just roll with your stubs. Yeah, um, it wouldn't be as fun. It wouldn't be as sexy to the <laughs> fan base. But oh, did I you see that Drew Stubbs attempted a sliding catch in center field today? You don't think that was sexy? Oh, you know what? I actually <laughs> like Drew Stubbs. I'm in on Drew Stubbs, but yeah, sexy. Yeah, that's a good word for it. And he he, he had the home run. Like he's got some stuff going on, Drew Stubbs, man. Yeah, don't say uh, Drew Stubbs. But here's a hypothetical for you that I want to throw out. Let's say that Malik comes up and plays center field for two weeks, and he's just on fire, do you think there is any scenario where the Braves decide that he's ready, there's not anything else he can do in AAA, so they do something like move him to left field and push Hector Oliveira back to third base? Do you think that's even in the realm of possibility, and is that something that you'd like to see, or no? Uh, is that a no-go? First of all, I would love that. Um, we talked about this before the season started on this podcast. Um I think that Oliveira should have been given an opportunity to play third base. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we have gone through all of spring and a couple, and, you know, a full week of the major league season, uh, Oliveira hasn't played third base at all. Uh, <laughs> he didn't play third base in the spring. 
Um, the Braves clearly think that he can't do that. Um, that was something that was bandied about again on Twitter today as like a possible scenario if Malik lights it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't see the Braves doing that. I don't think they. I don't think they trust Oliveira to you know even be passable at third base. Uh, and if they did, they probably would have tried it at some point before now. <laughs> uh, so in a vacuum, yeah, I'd love that because I think his bat plays better there than it does as a, in a corner outfield spot. But I just don't see it. And with the way that Adonis Garcia is playing, we can touch on him later too. Um, you know, that's a, that's a guy that I'm sure Freddie wants to keep in the lineup right now. He's been playing well. Yep. Um, and I just don't. I think the ship has sailed on it. As for as much as that frustrates me, I yeah. think the ship has sailed on Oliver at third base. And you'd be looking at more of a conundrum where if they decide they want to keep Malix up. You know, you almost have you almost have to trade one of the corner outfield guys, and I doubt that's Oliveira. So you're looking at Nick Marquez's talk, which I'm sure we can uh, touch on a little bit. Even though he's been good, but mm-hmm. that's pretty much the only option I see for keeping Malik's up that makes any sense to me is to trade Nick Marquez. Yeah, and we're kind of getting way ahead of ourselves here because oh, I don't. Yeah, no, no, I don't, no, I'm not blaming you. I, I think it was that. my hypothetical <laughs> that that kind of sparked this off, but um. No, it's going to be interesting. I'm excited to see Malik's every day. There's, I mean, there's definitely a real chance he can be the leadoff hitter over the next two weeks, given the lineup construction we've seen from Freddie. What do you think of him, him coming out of the lineup, lead-up spot? Yeah, lead-off I mean, spot. I can't talk. I guess he fits the uh, the Vroom model mm-hmm. of leadoff hitter, uh, top of the order guy. Um, again, I'm not sure Malik's can hit with any power, so it's probably he's probably. Uh, either a uh, leadoff guy or you know a seven eight guy, mm-hmm. um, and given how hot he's been, it wouldn't surprise me if Freddie just decided to plug him in in that one spot just because of he has the speed and you know you think about speed, you think of leadoff hitter. As much as that frustrates people that know <laughs> advanced stats and all that stuff, um, that you know it would kind of surprise me if he wasn't hitting leadoff beginning as soon as he, really as soon as he arrives. Yeah. Well, the beautiful part about this season for the Braves is that. All those lineup construction arguments that you would normally make kind of don't matter because the point is to maximize the runs that you're scoring and when really none of the runs actually matter in the long term since this team isn't going to be competing, you can kind of just laugh at it and take it a little more lightheartedly than you would. Listen, you're, kill, you're killing my lineup construction piece. <laughs> I, know you like to, I know you like to get on it and, and just really hammer out everything that's wrong with the lineup, but for me, I just want to see as many crazy lineups as possible this year because that's the most enjoyment I would be able to get out of it. And besides, if, if you guys don't know, I like Freddie Gonzalez. I know Freddie gets a lot of hate in the Braves' Twitter sphere and the Braves' blogosphere and every other Braves' sphere you can think of, but honestly, I feel like I'm more, more of a Freddie fan after doing the internship last year and like talking to him on a regular basis and realizing that he's actually a cool dude. So I'll probably defend him a little more than I should. Uh, a little more that's that's wise when you look at some of the advanced statistics and things that you're talking about. But at least whatever. you own that. Just own that. Yeah. Uh, you know. You know why. It's fine. Here's like, my look. thing: is that I like the difference between a great manager in baseball and the worst manager is something like two two wins. It doesn't. It's not as big of a deal as everyone thinks it is. In that my, is true. In my opinion, and I feel like if you can handle the clubhouse, if you can keep your guys happy. Uh, if you can handle all the other responsibilities, like you're gonna be fine. The players are gonna play. It's not gonna make that big of a difference uh, until you do something stupid in the playoffs. Which I mean, that's not that's <laughs> not gonna be an issue for, for him this no, year. I, yeah, I <laughs> I agree with you on the general principle. Like, and I wrote this in I wrote this in that line of construction piece that yeah. you can read at talkingchop.com. Hey, plug. Uh, yes, plugs for everybody. Uh, I wrote this. Um, it doesn't matter as much as anybody thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I couch that with that. There, there is a way to do it and a way not to do it, and that's what frustrates me about Freddie sometimes. Yeah. But at the same time, it's all overblown, man. It really is. <laughs> and uh, as much as Eric Ibar hitting second is something that I just can't handle mentally, um, it doesn't matter. It just, it, it just doesn't. So yeah. I'm, I'm with you, especially this year. I mean, your point stands. Like, it would matter a lot more for a team that was competing. Um, I just, you know. Something sticks in me where if it's not if it's not the uh, statistically inclined thing, it kind of drives me nuts. But your your overall point is true. No, but I think there's there's a lot of sense to to your line of thought as well. Like if there's clearly evidence that suggests that you can get better production or better value out of doing something a certain way, you want to try and see your team doing that as much as possible. So as much as I'll joke about it this season, I'm sure Brad is right. Just remember that Brad is right. Uh, but moving on to some of the positive things we've had from the Braves yeah. so far this season. We've, we've kind of had a lot of negative stuff, but there are some good things in Atlanta so far this year. Uh, which one do you want to talk about first? Nick Marquez, Adonis Garcia? You choose, Brad. You're in the driver's seat at this point. Well, we already touched on Marquez, so let's, let's go there. Let's go to Nick, who is suddenly just power just driving the ball with power yes. to every which every which way what a monster who needs jason hayward when you have nick markakis oh lord no don't do that two years after neck surgery <laughs> don't, don't do the who needs jason hayward people are gonna hear you and hear us and think that we're serious oh no i'm not serious uh jason hayward probably would have camped under a ball that nick markakis was sprinting to get to today in the outfield i don't know if you saw that particular play that i was talking about but i was just watching him run and i was like man it takes it takes all of my strength to not tweet that sort of thing after every play mm-hmm. makes. So I know I, at the beginning of last year, every single foul ball that he would let fall while he was like kind of half jogging to it to to kind of make an attempt to get near the ball. I think I tweeted every single time that Jason Hayward would be camped under it. So I feel like I can't do that this year. So it's I'm the like, opposite right of uh, well, it's not. It's actually the exact exact same thing as. Uh, every time Ibar doesn't make a play at shortstop, oh, everybody man. on Twitter tweets that Anderson would have gotten to the ball. And, and they're all right. And that's going to be even worse this year. Yeah, they're all accurate. I mean, <laughs> Anderson's the best, I think, maybe ever to do it. Uh, him, it's, it's him and Ozzy and Omar Vizquelo, like on the short list. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're all correct. It's just that I, I, I'm not going to tweet it every time for 150 games. I'm just not going to do it. But it's the same <laughs> thing with Marquecas. I mean, Marquecas is not as bad as Ibar has been. Defensively this yeah. year to bring it back to Nick, uh, he's not an awful defensive player. He just doesn't have any range. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it a couple times, but yeah. it needs to be said again. He's not. He's not a good <laughs> defensive player. He's just not. Yeah, it's fine. But if he's going to hit 300, 364, 500, which is his current triple slash after four games with four doubles, uh, I think he can definitely live with that. No. Yeah, I mean you'll take. Uh, for as much as we we we, put, we poke fun at Marquegas for not having any power, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Power is not always home runs. Yep. Like doubles are great, man. That's the kind of power that you can expect from Marquegas. It's the only way you're going to get power. I don't really think the home runs are coming back. Um, but if he goes out and hits 35 doubles, cool. Yeah. Uh, count me in. Yeah. So today he matched a career high with three doubles in one game. Uh, after the game, reporters were talking to him and asking him about how he felt. I know he said he feels quicker. Feels like the bat speed is back uh, at a at a level where it wasn't last season. Uh, he definitely feels more confident, and I guess you can see that kind of translate so far. Uh, it's interesting to look at his triple si- again, small sample size. I I don't know how many times I have to like rehash this when I throw out numbers at this point, but it's funny to look at his triple slash so far this year and see how it resembles uh, 2015. At least it was for me last year. He ended with a 296. 
uh, batting average and a 370 on base percentage. And those numbers are basically right where he's at this season so far. But the on base percentage is like 140 points better. Obviously, I don't expect him to slug 500 the entire year. But I, I think I might disagree with you a little bit, Brad, and say that I wouldn't be surprised to get some more homers. I don't know if he's going to hit 25 homers again, but 15 honestly wouldn't surprise me, even if that might be a little too high for you at this point. Because no. I, I don't know. I just feel like him getting back and having a year off that surgery and getting his full workout and, and driving the ball and getting that bat speed, like that wouldn't surprise me at all. I still think he's capable of that. He's a very good hitter. Yeah, fifteen's not crazy. I should I should he's say that. He's a good hitter. Maybe not a yeah. good hitter. No, he's a good hitter. I mean, <laughs> for as much hate as we've kind of always I I'll, I'll own it, um, thrown his way. Um he's a Marquez is a good player right now. Mm-hmm. He just is. Uh if you separate that from the contract and all the other stuff, like he's a productive hitter. He's not a disaster in right field. It's and and the power, you're right about the power. He's now in physical shape that he was not in a year ago. That's what happens when you have neck surgery at 31 years old, yep. um, late in the offseason. Um, it's just he never had an opportunity to sort of regain all that strength and have a full offseason to work it out before 2015. This year, he kind of came into camp you know, in a much better physical place. We touched on it a little bit before the season, but it's, it's mm-hmm. coming to fruition early. I mean, the numbers are the numbers, and like they really don't matter this early, but he just he looks better physically. He, say, he says he feels better physically. And uh, for a guy that's 32, will be 33, uh, I think, near the end of the season. That's mm-hmm. something you want to see, uh, especially, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but he's, he's really the prime trade candidate if the Braves look to sell, to sell high on a guy uh, in the lineup. He's mm-hmm. probably the only one that makes a ton of sense from a uh, perspective of actually getting something back. Um, yeah. Know, and that's some, we're, we're going to be dealing with that in the next few months. I mean, as this team sort of drops further and further away from playoff contention, mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be the conversation, especially with Malix. I mean, if he plays well, and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves with that, but mm-hmm. like the calls are going to be coming for him to, for him to play, and he's got to play somewhere. Yep, you're not trading in Ciarte, and you're probably not trading Oliveira because they love him so much. So the obvious guy is going to be Martakis, and if you you know, I, I'm be cool with trading him. I'd be cool with uh, getting uh, some value back for him. Mm-hmm. But you want him to succeed. Uh, if, if if he plays well, that helps you. It helps your options, even if you don't trade him. It just, you know, it opens things up for you if Marquecas is playing well and him being in physical shape now to do that is a good thing. Yeah, and I think another area where him being in shape has has kind of shown itself is his throwing. I haven't seen it personally, but I know Mark Bowman was tweeting about how his arm strength already looks better than you saw at any point last season. I don't know if you can speak to that, Brad, um, if you've seen him making some throws that you didn't see last year. But I definitely think it would be good a good scenario for the Braves if he was traded, if he somehow managed to keep up this value, had the pop back, looked a little stronger with his throwing arm in the outfield. I mean, a contending team would definitely look at Nick Markakis, a veteran outfielder, um, just his track record and his pedigree that he's shown over his career as and, and the type of hitter that he's even been with the Braves without that power. That's That's a valuable player for a team that's in contention, maybe an American League team that feels like, they need a, a steady bat in the lineup that doesn't need, wouldn't even have to play him in the outfield if they don't think he's capable of playing a corner outfield position at this point. I think you could definitely get something of value. And if you do trade Marquegas, then your biggest concern, which is the last two years of his contract, that kind of goes away, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the contract matters, but at the same time, it's not prohibitive. Mm-hmm. It's not an awful contract, so it's it's definitely movable. Um just because, you know, two more years at $11 million a year, 
I don't love it with the age. We've been over that a million times now. Yeah. But it's not like it's going to stop a team that's really trying to plug a need from going and getting that contract, uh, especially in a bigger market. Like a lot of a lots have been made of the of the Orioles as a potential team to go to go, go back and get their old guy. Yeah. Um, Baltimore Baltimore's not going to balk at taking an eleven million dollars a year on for Marquez in a short term, a relatively short term contract. Uh, and you know even. Even last year, when we were kind of talking about how his body wasn't right, mm-hmm. he was still worth almost two wins. I mean, he, you know, that's not great, but there are many, many, many worse starting out <coughs> in, in the majors than Nick Marquez. He's going to hit. At worst, he's going to get on base. He's going to post a 350 or better on base percentage, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's a place for that guy almost anywhere. So, so if the Braves are just trying to clear a spot and get some, you know, some more uh, value in terms of prospects or something like that. That's an easy trade they can make. Um, you know, maybe the Braves want to go into 2017 with Mark Hickus on the roster. Maybe that was the plan all along, and mm-hmm. they want to stick with that. And you know, that won't surprise me at all. But if they're looking to open, open up a spot for Alex, or just get some increased flexibility, or just you know, sell high on a guy that is playing well but probably won't be this good in two years, mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense to me to, to at least shop him. Uh, if you don't, if you don't get anything back, then then great, hold on to him. See what you, see what you can extract from next year uh, as a plug-in option in, in the corner outfield. But if they don't at least put him on the market, if he's playing well, that will be a mistake, I think. Yeah, and I think given what we've seen with John Coppolello, that's not going to be the case. Yeah, uh, Coppy's <laughs> not shy about putting no, him. <laughs> not at all. But uh, moving on to Adonis Garcia, I know we briefly touched on him before, but he's got four hits in four games, including a home run. But I think the biggest thing from Adonis is five walks and five strikeouts. Uh, last season, he walked at a 2.5% rate. In this season, small sample size alert, he's at 25%, which is obviously not going to be sustainable throughout the whole season. But, I mean, if he's improved this much with his pitch selection and it's just his patience up there at the plate, uh, Adonis might be the third baseman that the Braves have been looking for. I mean, I don't know if the glove's ever going to be good enough, but if he's if he's able to walk and hit with that power that he's shown, do you think he's a an actual starting third baseman for the the whole season, Brad? Where here's, where, here's where I come in and pour water all over the place. <laughs> uh, Garcia, okay, he'll be 31 in two days. The same uh, as top prospect Hector Oliveira, no? Ha- yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, happy birthday! Happy birthday to, to Adonis Garcia. Just before we start, um, before you slam him, just wish him a nice yeah, happy birthday. Yeah, I mean, at no point in the <laughs> minor leagues did he walk uh, anywhere. Um, his highest career walk rate was seven seven point eight percent, which actually would be fine, but that was over about a hundred plate appearances mm. uh, in High A in 2012. Uh, since then, he's never uh, posted a walk rate of, of higher than five point one percent, even in the minor leagues. Um, he's not going to walk. I mean, it, it might be better than last year's 2.5% rate. I'll grant that. Um, and he's looked, he's looked more disciplined at the plate. So respect to that. Um, this is a bit of a mirage though. Um, and you mentioned the bigger issue for me is the glove. Like mm-hmm. I think, I think Garcia does have power. He's displayed that he hit 10 home runs last year, less than 200 plate appearances. He's already kind of flashed up this year. I just don't think he can play defense. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if you if you can maximize that bat in a platoon situation, I think it might be good. Um, but you can't hide the glove for one sixty two or even one fifty. I don't think. Um, and 
the play discipline's nice. If he can do that, like I've seen a couple people say that before you did even on Twitter today, like, look, if he does this, mm-hmm. like, yeah, if you, if you tell me he walks 10% of the time, great. Like, I just don't believe that's going to happen. Yeah, I didn't even realize, like, until looking at it, how much he was actually walking. And it's brutal, I, man. I'm with you. I don't think that's actually going to stick around. I mean, you said if he was better than 2.5% walking this year, that would be good. Like, like that's a sad statement to make because 25 a two point five percent walk rate is atrocious. Like that's that's not good at all, especially that's for someone Korlach. who flashes that power. Yeah, yeah, that's Frank Korlak plate discipline. I mean, that was again that was his that was his small sample size number from last year. It was yeah. only one hundred ninety eight plate appearances. But even before that's that, in the minors, touched, it was like four yeah, percent. Like four percent in the minors <laughs> is bad, man. Like you don't you know, especially when you think that that's one of your better players in the lap in the minors, so he's going to get pitched around a lot. Mm-hmm. If you if you're only posting four percent walk rate, like that's that's brutal. I mean, it might be better. Like like I said, I've it's I've with my uh, the quote unquote eye test. He does look like he's been more selective. It's not like he's just getting pitched around because he's not going to get pitched around. It's not that's not going to happen. So the number you know, four hitter on the Braves isn't going to get pitched around. Yeah, what? Number four. Uh, there are encouraging signs with Adonis, but I think people are treating him like he's a prospect, it's much like much like Oliveira. Like <laughs> he's new to them. He's new to the fan base, yeah. uh, so that they, they think, oh, he must be twenty five, and he's re- he's about to be thirty one. Mm-hmm. So this is not a prospect. It's just he's a guy who this is probably as good as he's ever going to be. And if that you know if that means he's gonna look, he's gonna have an he's gonna have a good ISO. He's got he's got legitimate power. Mm-hmm. You can see it. The ball jumps off his bat when he when he makes contact. That's great. I just don't think he's a he's a capable defensive third baseman. If he was in the American League and all he had to do was hit, cool. But that's not the situation here. And um, because of the defense, more than anything, even more than the plate discipline, I just don't see him as an everyday player. But Freddie's going to ride him. I think that's pretty clear. They open the season with him as the you know he's he's the starter. It's not a platoon so far. He's the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we'll see. Yeah, and those two things that we're talking about, his defense and the walk rate. Those aren't things that you ever see improving as a thirty-one-year-old, a thirty-two-year-old. Like those skills, not a lot. Of, I mean, maybe yeah. a little bit, but no, not not. Seriously. Maybe the I guess maybe the walk rate you could see just just hitters getting getting more used to seeing major league pitching. But no, I'm not buying this. I agree with you. Maybe our job this year is to just pour salt into everything that gives Braves fans hope, but. No, I, we, we listen. We we plug Nick Markakis. We're positive <laughs> about Nick Markakis. I've always been good. positive about Nick Markakis. I think he's. A, I think he's always been a good hitter. I've always been. I think I've always been a little more optimistic about him than you, Brad. You downer. That's but. fair. <laughs> Look, it was the contract for me. It's never been about. It's never been about Markakis. Yeah. It was people that said he was better than Hayward, which is. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Can we, we can, can we keep that. track of every time we mention Jason Hayward this year? Because really, uh, we, we should sure. be talking about him, but I feel like we need to have a Hayward tracker. It is kind of it is kind of funny, like guys. Uh, we're we're close to it, but even people that are uh, smart enough to step back and kind of just see how much he's still talked about with the mm-hmm. Braves and Braves fans. Um, you know, multiple years now since he's been on the team, it's it is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> it's almost like Frank Core before Frank Core came back. Like Frank Core was always a a point of of contention mm-hmm. even last year and the year before and it was like he was he was in triple a somewhere and <laughs> Braves fans will still be arguing about Jeff Frank or I think yeah. we'll, we'll be arguing about Jason Hayward until you know the year 2074 or something when yeah. I'm and it's more fun you know, with Jason Hayward because unlike Jeff Frank he's actually still good so 
So what do you mean gonna... still good? You have to, you know, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hayward's great. Hayward, Hayward caught the last ball of all baseball games today in the major leagues. That's how good he is. He ended major league baseball play this summer. All right, let's get off Hayward, John. We'll do this all day. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap this up? I feel like we've done a pretty splendid job recapping the Braves' first week in major league baseball. Yes. Just stay strong, Braves fans. It's not, <laughs> it's not as bad as this has been. This is not going to be a 120-loss team. Uh, I saw somebody today ask if this was uh, worse than the record-setting Tigers team that I think won 43 games. Um, This is better than that. I promise you this is better than that. Um, They're going to win soon. I won't tell you it's going to be like this you know, immediately. If they started 0-10, I wouldn't be shocked. But... You know, it's not as bad as these first five games have been. So that that's me, the eternal I'm the eternal pessimist, and I'm still gonna tell you that it's not that it's not this bad. It's just not. So that's that's my message to Braves Country today. Um it's not gonna be this bad. <laughs> so, something's gonna go right. I mean, it's been comical the late game stuff, man. Like every yeah. clutch situation's gone the wrong way, mm-hmm. every break's gone the wrong way. And, you know, it's not a good baseball team. I won't tell you that it is, but it's it's also not the worst team ever assembled, which is what it's looked, which is what it's looked like the last uh, the last few days. So yeah, I agree. The, bull, the bullpen's going to be better than what we've seen so far, and I really can't add much more than what you've said to everyone, Brad. So I think we'll just end it there. Um, as always, you can follow Brad on Twitter at bt roland. You can follow myself at Carlos A Colazzo. You can follow Talking Chop at Talking Chop. Be sure to check out the site this week. I know we have a lot of good stuff from the weekend. If you need to catch up on any Braves news, if you've been a bad baseball fan so far this season, just jump on by the site and you'll get caught up in no time. Uh, I'm really excited to keep doing this podcast and to start doing it and talking about actual games going on. Uh, We're going to continue to cycle in some of the writers on the site and myself and Brad will be here for the most part talking about the Braves and that's fun even when we're 0-5 it's always fun talking about the Braves so keep listening guys we appreciate you listening Uh, until next time take care